chapter of last. So today we are going to return once more what will be really our final time into a series we've been having for a few weeks called The Favorites, Unlocking Popular Verses of the Bible. Since there are actually many, many different favorites of different people, and some verses are more popular than others, I suspect this series could have continued for many, many weeks, if not even months. But we've kind of curtailed it to only four weeks, kind of a fit between, if you will, between what happened to begin the year and Easter, which we'll start concentrating on next Sunday. But in our weeks of discussion, which now is our fourth week and our final, like I mentioned, we have had some verses that we have talked about and expanded upon, namely three verses. The first week, it was 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, which we emphasized and looked upon the portion of the verse that said to always be prepared for anyone who ever asks you of the reason of the hope that you have. Our hope is singly found in Jesus. Jesus is simply the reason of the hope that we have. Uh, two weeks ago then, we went to John chapter 3 and concentrated on the story pertaining to verse 16, arguably one of the most popular verses of all the Bible, which again says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then, last week, our third week, we went into Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Another popular verse that a lot of people use, actually, to give them strength every day of the week. We sometimes need that strength to give to the Lord. And that verse reminds us of that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That was our previous verses that we expanded upon. Today we have our last. It's found in Joshua. It is chapter 24, verse 15. You may ask, what is that verse? We're going to find out when we get there. So let's stand this morning as we turn now to Joshua. And we're going to look at the 24th chapter. We're going to read the very beginning of the chapter through verse 15, which is the one that will become the most popular. If you don't recognize it yet, you certainly will when we get there. Joshua chapter 24. 15 verses to read this morning, with the 15th being the one that will be the most popular. Verse 1 says this. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and of Nahal, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and led him through all the land of Canaan, and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then, verse 8, I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand. And you took possession of their land, and, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, 
king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent a hornet before you, which drove them out before you. The two kings, the Amorites, it was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you land on which you had not labored, and cities you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And verse 15, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorite in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Father, Lord, we thank you today, Lord, for how we can open your word and find another popular verse. And Lord, today we take an opportunity to expand upon this verse that has so much built-in meaning to it. So today, Lord, we just ask that your spirit will lead and guide and direct that the words be said here today, Lord, be words that we can apply directly to our lives. So today we open not just our ears, but we open our heart to hear the word and see how it applies right now to the lives we live in our modern day. So thank you, Lord, for leading us and directing us today into your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, having read the text in Joshua 24, we found at the very end of verse 15, the most popular section of the verse that we're going to be talking a little bit today about uh, Joshua saying, for me and my house, we serve the Lord. But before we do that, we're going to entertain and open up with a question. The question is this. Have you ever been in a situation where something or somehow was miscommunicated to you? And perhaps... You gave somebody some very specific instructions, and they just seemed to not understand it. And so, therefore, what you ask of them just did not get done or did not get done in the right way. I see wives already looking at husbands. But sometimes we also see that we have been the recipient of some sort of communication and just didn't understand what it meant. Last Wednesday, there was a storm coming into the church. It was coming into our area. We were all here at church doing our Bible study. When Sheila and I left here, the storm was amongst us, and we had actually winds that would bring in the, the rain horizontal rather than vertical. But on the way home, the winds were high enough that we had to stop three times between the church and Princeton for trees blown over the road while people were getting out of their cars and clearing the trees from them. Three times we stopped with the trees blown over. One time we stopped and we got a little nervous, thinking that we stopped in the area we could blow back on top of us. But three times we stopped because the storm was pressing upon us. What that meant then was next morning, whenever the bus drivers are getting into their buses and getting ready, ready to go on their morning route on Thursday morning, I jokingly told some of the drivers on the radio, watch out for them falling trees. 
because we had experienced it the night before. And the winds were severe enough, I thought, possibly some drivers might encounter a downed tree on the bus route. Well, it was the case. One such young lady actually encountered a tree on her particular route. So she got on the radio. We all can hear the radios talking to each other. She got on there, and she called out our transportation director. And when she called our transportation director, she said, hey, I can't get any further my route. There's a tree down in front of me. Well, he's going to contact the county and try to get someone to come and remove the tree. It may not happen immediately. She's going to back up and go around, but still someone needs to know that the tree's been down and that it needs to be cleared from the roadway. So she gives him the directions to be able to get to the place where the tree is down. Well, here's how she explained where she was at. She says, where are you? She says, I'm on Carithers Road near 350, not far from Top Hat Road, and near the cow farmer that always has cows to get out of the fence. I mean, is she clearly communicating where she's at? I mean, she really believes that's exactly how she can describe her location. Now, the thing about it is the transportation director knew exactly where she was. But as drivers, we were listening on the radio and we're thinking, where on earth is she? I mean, yeah, I know about the cows and I jokingly said something about if it happens to get out on a Sunday, that would make them a holy cow. But we're trying to figure out where she can be because, she, because Carithers and Top Hat Road, don't even, they're not even close to each other. So what she meant to say was that she was near Taft Town Road and Carithers rather than Top Hat. So she actually miscommunicated where she was at, even though somehow the transportation director understood her location. She miscommunicated and gave bad directions. And sometimes we do that. We mean to get somebody somewhere and we give them some bad directions. Another incident I want to share with you about how someone I know and love was on the wrong side of miscommunication was my son Tyler. He was a recipient of miscommunication years ago when he lived in Portland. Now it took Tyler some time to get to Portland. Because at the time he decided to go to Portland, we lived in Mount Pleasant, Texas. And Tyler, being who he was, you know Tyler, my son, and he decided that he would bicycle from Mount Pleasant, Texas to Portland, Oregon, which he did successfully. It took him 32 days to get there. But once he finally got there, eventually he started working at a Starbucks. And one particular day, the day shift manager asked him to clean the toilets in the restroom. So Tyler, I mean, a good, young, obedient son that I raised him to be, grabbed the brush, it's located under the coffee urns, and commenced then to go to the bathroom and start cleaning the toilets. When Tyler was done, as he should, he took the brush, took it back to where he had found it, and left it there for the next person to be able to do the same thing whenever that woman may come. But then later, during the day, Tyler's still working, and he notices one of the employees taking that same brush from under the coffee urn and now cleaning the coffee urn. So he thinks to himself, well, that is weird. Why would someone take that brush that is there to clean that coffee urn? So he inquires about it with the day shift manager that he had previously used that brush to clean the toilet. The day shift manager gives him a look like, you did what? And he looks at her back and says, oh, yes, I did. 
So she explains to him then, when I ask you to clean the toilet, there's two types of brushes. There's actually two sets. There's, there's, don't mix them up, which is too late. There's two sets. There's one under the coffee urn to clean the coffee urns. There's one in the bathroom that will what? Clean the bathroom. So they look at each other. I mean, she got this horrified look on her face. And she looks at Tyler and says, this never happened. Don't tell anyone. So guess what people were drinking that day? It's another form of miscommunication. Miscommunication can happen all around us in our lives. But in this text, Joshua is taking no chances of any miscommunication. He clearly communicates to the people of Israel that his house, my house, will serve the Lord. Clearly making that to be known. Communicate that the best that he can. So notice then how he comes to make this statement. Go back to the text. I mean, he methodically sets it up so there can be any kind of confusion at all. In verse 1, you see he summons everyone together, knowing that, you know, for someone to hear about it later, he don't want him to hear about it later, secondhand. He wants them to all hear it together at the same time to prevent any miscommunication. So in verse 1, he gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and summoned all the elders. He put everybody together. And then methodically then, he began to rehash Israelite history. From Abraham's father, Terah, which he served false gods in verse 2, to the calling of Abraham to leave and go to Canaan in verse 3, to Isaac, Jacob, and Esau, especially Jacob, he travels to Egypt in verse 4, which in turn, then, he talks about Egypt, gets him also to refer to Moses. As he refers to Moses, he talks about the plagues upon Egypt in verse 5, which eventually then turns Pharaoh's heart, and he didn't want to let them go in initially, the Israelites, but he eventually did, as his heart had all the plagues come upon them, to let the people go. But then Pharaoh changes his mind and pursues the people. God saves his people by the parting of the Red Sea in verse 6, going through all this different history throughout Israel. Eventually, he tells them that the promised land to be given to them in verse 8. God destroys the opposition, namely the Amorites. But then Balak rose up against them, asked Balaam to curse them, but actually it was a blessing. So God delivered them once more in verses 9 and 10. Then they come to Jericho in verse 11, where there's every form of ite. Look at the verse. There's every form of an ite except a termite. Look, Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. I imagine there's termites there too. Every form of an ite is destroyed. God dries them out. It gives them the rich, fertile land to dwell in, fruit of the vineyards and orchards they did not plant. It's all going lovely. Throughout the history of Israel, right? But Josh makes all this to be known to them methodically going through the history, bringing them all together to make an announcement in verse 14, which he wanted to make, which says this. Now, therefore, it's like a command. Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. 
And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Josh was taking absolutely no chances of any kind of miscommunication. He brings everyone together for the very purpose of telling them that they should serve no God, no little G God, man-made false God, but only the true, mighty, sovereign God of the universe. It's the only God they should serve. Notice how his message is absolutely clear. He leaves no fuzziness regarding the interpretation of what will be his last official sermon. He tells them to fear the Lord, put away the gods of your fathers, and make the right choice to serve the great I Am, Yahweh himself. That's what he's communicating. Not taking any chance of getting it messed up or getting it confused. Serve the Lord and serve him only. But notice, if you will, as you concentrate back again on verses 14 and 15, particularly verse 15, that Joshua seems to give the people a choice. As you look again at verses 14 and 15, notice again, verse 14 seems to be a command and seems to set it with no fuzziness at all, clear, concise message to fear the Lord, put away those gods from your fathers, and make the right choice to serve God, the only true God. But then notice in verse 15, after he makes his bold statement in verse 14, it seems he gives them a little bit of a choice. Basically, if you want to paraphrase it, he would say, choose this day on whom you will serve. The gods your father served, or perhaps the gods of the Amorites. Choose who you're going to serve. Now think about that for a moment and think about how that seems to make sense. I mean, how could we make sense of the fact that he tells them what they must do? And then right after that, he almost kind of gives them a choice as you read the text. So what does that mean, if anything, that he kind of gives them a choice? Well, essentially what it means is that Joshua is now challenging the people. The fact that the Israelites, I mean, have been repeatedly disobedient. They have made, he went through their history, but he knows they've made it a practice on many occasions to serve the false man-made pagan gods and idols. He knows their history. They know it as well, too. I mean, he knows their heart. He knows how they've been rebellious. I mean, we know it, too. Do you remember the golden calf in Exodus 32? I mean, it's just a small sample of the rebellion. But then God had... God had clearly communicated to the Israelites as well that they should serve no gods but him. In the Big Ten Commandments, he says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That seems abundantly clear. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water underneath the earth. Then he says again, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God. 
God doesn't have any miscommunication. He's not trying to confuse the Israelites or the message. He's telling them clearly, serve me, the great I am the Lord. Joshua was echoing the same thing. He knows, though, they've been disobedient and rebellious to all their history, seeking pagan gods repetitiously. Therefore, Joshua, knowing full well the people as he's leading them, he knows their constant rebellion. And so he sarcastically challenges them with a choice. David Jeremiah says that this is plain sarcasm, meant to jolt the people and to sealing the seeing the foolishness of serving anyone but Yahweh. So yeah, maybe he's challenging them, and maybe he's doing it sarcastically. I mean, it'd be like you telling your children, some of them present in the room, some already left, but you telling your children, and something they have already done foolishly, you tell them, do it again. Just do it again. I mean, you broke curfew, do it again. I mean, you really don't want them to break curfew again or act foolish, but you're sarcastically challenging them to get them to make the right choice the next time. So in the text, Joshua is kind of sarcastically challenged the Israelites to make the right choice. The right choice to serve only the true, sovereign, mighty, powerful God. He's telling them to make that choice. But if there seems to be any doubt, he makes it also abundantly clear on whom he will serve. In verse 15, again, he says, in the middle of the verse, choose this day whom you will serve. But at the end, he makes it absolutely positively clear on who he will serve. And he says, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You make your choice. But for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So I'm having to explain a little bit about what seems to be confusing in the latter part of the reading, verses 14 and 15, maybe verse 15, with what seems to be a choice, let's now begin to apply that because there's a great application there. Again, Joshua is expecting the people to make the right choice. As mentioned, he gathers everybody together, not wanting to be any hearsay later. It offers a history lesson to get their attention sarcastically at the end, maybe giving them a choice and challenging them. And basically, he tells the people that you have to decide whether you will obey the Lord who has always been trustworthy with you and has always delivered on his promise. Throughout all your history, he has always delivered. You're going to obey him or you're going to obey those local pagan gods and idols that are man-made. The application is the very same thing applies to us. The very same offer extends to you and to me. God does not force us to accept his son. He gives us a choice, right? We get some free will to accept his son or to not. So ultimately, we have a choice ourselves. On whom shall you serve? Will you serve the man-made gods, the false idols, and all those pagan religions in this world, or are you going to serve only the true God, the great I am? Before you begin to answer, think about your situation. Whom are you serving now? Whom shall you serve? You may think, well, that's an easy question to answer. I don't have to take any time to think about it. I know who I'm going to serve. 
But take some time and think. Because the truth is this. In life that we're living, it is so easy to slip into a quiet rebellion. Going about your life in your own, but yet wrong way. It's so easy to slip in something when someone begins to entertain something and show you something different than what you maybe had thought about before. For example, years ago when I was in seminary, a missiology professor asked the students in the classroom if any of us would like to accompany him on the Dallas-Fort Worth area to be able to go into these Buddhist temples and areas in which they were serving Buddhists, or they were Buddhists. So a few of the students and myself jumped at the opportunity to go into these different areas throughout DFW and to maybe visit a couple temples, which was even staggering to me to think there was temples in the DFW area, but to go and visit and talk to people who were now claiming to be Buddhists. And one particular visit I will never forget, because when we went to this one particular temple, which, by the way, that particular day we went to lunchtime, I'll share this with you. They were having tomato soup. I could care less about tomato soup. I would maybe eat tomato soup, which I did that day, over cottage cheese. Cottage cheese is horrible. Who eats cottage cheese? I know, weirdos, right? I can't stand cottage cheese. It's like spoiled curdled milk. Why does it even exist? I don't know. So I'll eat tomato soup over cottage cheese. If they've been serving cottage cheese that day, I'd have been in a lot of trouble. But they were serving tomato soup. I don't like tomato soup either. But it's better than cottage cheese. But what can get me through tomato soup is lots of crackers. So that day we were there at lunchtime in one of the Buddhist temples in the DFW area. It was lunchtime. We were having our tomato soup. I was gobbling down those crackers to go right there with it. And as we began to talk to these people who were Buddhists, I noticed that this newly converted Buddhist was telling me that he once was a Baptist. Well, that sparked my attention. I mean, I really wanted to know about how he went from being a Baptist to this newly converted Buddhist. So my curiosity got to me. I said, how is it that you made that decision? And he simply said it happened to be one day that he accepted an invitation from a friend to go to the visit and begin to entertain that doctrine. And before you know it, the Baptist was converted to a Buddhist. Sometimes we slip into that quiet little rebellion, entertain some different things without being maybe solid in our faith. But we're going about life and all of a sudden something happens and we get this new direction. So again, the question is there about whom will we serve? You know, the occurrence I seen later was when I was actually graduated from seminary and had a small church in Texas, non-denominational church. Grandmother comes up to me and asks about Mormonism. Well, I'm looking thinking, why are you asking me about Mormonism? We're not going to pursue Mormonism. I mean, it was really curious about why she would come to me. Oh, yeah, we were a non-denominational church, but I'm thinking, why are you talking about being a Mormon? But she wasn't. She was seeking information about Mormonism because her grandson had been invited by a friend to invite to attend a Mormon church and she wanted to know more about the religion. Again, the entire point here is that it's so easy. We're going about life just doing our own thing. 
And it's so easy then to slip into some sort of quiet rebellion. We're going about life, doing their own thing, but yet also at the same time entertaining something else and ultimately going the wrong way. Which means then this. We need to recognize it. That in everyone's life, in everyone's life, a time comes when you have to make a choice. When you have to choose. Similar, perhaps, to the Israelites here. When Joshua was telling them their history, brings them together, tells them their history, and ultimately then gives them a choice. Whom shall you serve? Notice in everyone's life, a time comes when you must make a choice on whom or what will control you. The choice is yours. Again, God does not make us except his son. He gives us that free will. He gives the choice. Whom will you serve? Let me take that one step further because maybe you're thinking about yourself. But let me give this thought. What about your children? Everyone will have to make that choice someday about whom they will serve. Even your child. Now think about it. You might be. You might be able to control your child for a little while in life. But eventually, one day, that child will graduate and leave the house. And what choice will they make then? Everyone, one day, will have to make a choice on whom they will serve. Will it be God? The great, powerful, mighty, great I am God, Yahweh? Or will be another religion, a false god, this little g-god, an idol. Or some sort of false worship and false religion. My son Chase works at Medieval Collectibles in Princeton. Which has a lot of different things pertaining to um, armor and not witchcraft necessarily, but I mean, there's, there are different things that Chase will send out across the country that he has in his warehouse that is being shipped all over the place. And because of Chase's different uh, uh, things they have in the warehouse and the work atmosphere he's working in, he has told me before that a lot of his people entertain witchcraft or Wicca or sorcery. That's becoming quite popular. We talked about it very briefly Wednesday night as we concluded our study of Silas, because they had been in a situation where there was some witchcraft. And we think it's completely innocent. And perhaps it is. When someone watches the movie Harry Potter or reads the book, it's completely innocent, right? But notice how they fascinate that, how they entertain it, almost kind of plant that thought in some of these young minds who will someday leave the house and have to make their own choice of whom will they serve. It seems all innocent. But yet one day they'll make that choice. On whom shall you serve? So what I'm saying really then is this. Like Joshua was trying to say, we cannot risk any kind of miscommunication on whom we will serve. We must be abundantly, positively, absolutely clear. As clear as Joshua is in his text, in his message. He is telling the Israelites, he is telling the people, that for me, in my house, we will serve the Lord. 
It's not we might serve the Lord, we will serve the Lord. He's making it clear on whom he will serve. But here's the thing, when we make that choice, which we'll make someday, and maybe you already have, here's the thing, we must live it. We must show it each and every day. I mean, listen, it's not just enough to go down to the vineyard or go to Lifeway Christian Bookstore and to buy that beautiful wooden display that says, for me and my house who will serve the Lord, and put that on the wall. It's not just that simple. It's great to have it there, but we actually have to live it. It has to be real and genuine, practiced in and out of every day, 24-7, constantly. On whom shall we serve? It only must be the Lord. We must live according to the Word of God every day, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead and help in our daily choices. And we have to reaffirm that choice. It just not, We wish it was automatic, but it's not. We have to reaffirm that choice every day of our life to clearly communicate to people whom we will serve. Never take it for granted. Make the right choice. Make a decision to serve the Lord, the great I Am, Yahweh Himself, and stay with it. Stick with it every day. Joshua basically asked the question, whom shall you serve? And the only answer, really, is as he answers, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord and him only. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this message today. It's quite, quite simple, but yet that's the as the brilliant Lord, and we, we love that it's quite simple because we need simple messages. We need it to be clearly communicated. There's only one choice of whom to serve. Lord, today then, let's just take this message to heart. It's simple, but Lord, it's also applicable. So direct us today, Lord. Let us think about our life, whom we serve in. Are we serving things like a career, spouse? Are we entertaining money, Lord, some of these false gods and idols that enter our life? Are we entertaining these types of things, Lord? Is that who we're serving? Are we truly, honestly serving you? Lord, today I pray to all of us, will heed the message and make the right choice to lead and direct our family and to people and friends around us to clearly see that we're making the choice in our lives to serve you and serve you only. Thank you for the message as it makes that clear that we must make that choice. Let's make that right choice today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.